Welcome to a special edition series that we are calling Dad's Wisdom. Enjoy the wisdom and perspective that our senior peers in agriculture can bring. We will be running the series over the next several months, so if you know of a farmer with many years of experience that you feel would be a good fit for an interview, please let us know. Enjoy. Tom might not have been a farmer, but he grew up on a farm and worked with farmers for over 40 years. He was one of those guys that worked with my dad and worked real close with him and had an influence on my life. One of those guys that's like a father figure, but is really a mentor for your whole farming career. And uh, that's why I wanted to have Tom on here for Dad's Wisdom. Welcome everybody to another episode of the AgView Pitch. And we are making a video of this podcast, so if you're listening to it, that's great. And if you get a chance and wanna watch this on YouTube, uh, go ahead and, and do that. And so today, with Dad's wisdom, uh, we have a new special guest with us that's actually, he's not directly a farmer, but grew up on a farm and, and um, is an individual who uh, I had a lot of years of experience with, and I can get into that in a minute, but I uh, want to first have you go ahead, Tom Husnick, have you introduce yourself and tell us where you live and, and where you're at today. Okay, well, I'm Tom Husnick, and I currently live in Vinton, Iowa, but I was born and raised north of the Twin Cities, north of St. Paul, Minnesota, about 30 miles on a farm there. So that's where I started out. Yeah, so my experience with Tom was started in about 1972, is that about right? Um, I moved down here in 1977. 77, so right. what, so it would have been 70, okay, well, I was off a little ways. <laughs> well, so, time gets away. Yeah, I'm honest, but anyway, so, so I just remember you, Tom, as being the first account manager, so my dad was a pioneer sales rep, and he started in about 72, so maybe that's why I'm right, thinking right. 72. he started, yep, he was, yep. Before and I came down here. and as, as a little kid, I remember, you know, going out and seeing customers and talking to farmers and stuff with my dad. And I remember, um, you know, you being uh, being there as kind of in my memory, the first account manager and sort of boss that my dad had, which was kind of fun watching somebody get to boss my dad because he was always <laughs> bossing me. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was great because during the course of your entire career we had you in our pioneer agency which my family still has today as our account manager the entire time with the exception i think there was three years where right, we had kendra right, van sloten right. for a short period of time when mm-hmm. when there was some changing of areas and right. stuff but you stayed really in close contact with our farm operation and our family and so there's a close connection there and um and so that's why I wanted you to be on Dad's Wisdom. You know, when I first called you, you're like, well, I don't farm and I don't, you know, but, but you have been one of the most influential people in our operation from the standpoint of just information and paying attention to us and he- making sure we're more focused on our business and thinking out of the box and staying on top of things. And so I think there's some big wisdom that you can share with us and with the audience here that we work with um, through the podcast and, and with AgView Solutions on just some of the things that you've experienced over your entire career. So let's let's start to dive into that and, and let's have you kind of tell, you know, that first year you were starting, 
Um, well, actually, even go back a little further, kind of where you grew up, and, and tell us a little background on yourself. Okay. Well, I grew up north of the Twin Cities, so about 30 miles north of St. Paul, Minnesota. And as I look back on our operation, uh, my dad farmed with his brother, and uh, they started, of course, during World War II, so things were pretty tough at that time. Um, you know, because of all the things going on with World War II and the ability to get tires or tractors or equipment. So they made it through that. But um, our farm was really unique because they looked at what the opportunities were for their area. Yeah. And so when I, I had some older brothers and stuff and they started out in the livestock area, but then they soon went to uh, cash grain and they were one of the first farmers to try soybeans in that area back in the 50s. And that wow. was a totally new crop, especially for that part of the world. And so they had the first experience there. And then uh, really, when they started going to cash grain, they started thinking about how are we gonna keep fully employed for the whole year? <laughs> so uh, they started some other businesses, custom bale hay, uh, baling. So we had two balers, small square balers, and they traveled a wide area because there was a lot of farmers around there that had hay that they needed to make for forage and they couldn't afford a baler. And my dad and uncle were experts at baling hmm. hay. So they, they had a summer business all summer. That's all that they did was go around and bale hay. And then on the sideline, my mother raised chickens. So we sold eggs and we had customers that came from the cities and we also had a big strawberry patch. And it was kind of unique because back and then, people would come from the cities and they wanted to come out to a farm and they picked their own strawberries. <laughs> and uh, so that was a good summer business. And obviously we had a big garden, but um, we raised, at that time all our corn was raised on the ear, so we had ear corn. And so we didn't have livestock, so then they were thinking through how would they market this grain? What were their marketing opportunities for ear corn there? And very, very resourceful, they found a new feed mill up by Lake Superior, which would be about a four hour truck drive up there that was a new feed mill that needed grain. There was no grain grown in Northern Wisconsin hmm. and they wanted ear corn so they could grind for, for the dairy farmers up there. So all during the winter, they bought a truck that was set up to haul ear corn, and all winter they'd haul ear corn up to this elevator, and of course they were paid a big premium. Wow. So they went out and searched their own market and developed their own market with that. And it was a tremendous relationship. And then uh, while we were in the baling business, we would bale 20 to 30,000 bales in our own farming operation. And guess what, around the Twin Cities, there was a lot of small horse farms where people had a couple horses. So they developed a horse hay business. <laughs> so, so during the winter, we would deliver horse hay, 40 or 50 bales at a time to a, to a smaller farmer where they were, or to a hobby farmer that had a few horses. Mm -hmm. Then in the fall, when it would freeze up, we, we were in a kind of a low-lying area, a swamp area, and there was this reed canary grass and it would grow five, six foot tall. We Once it froze, we would, go in there and cut it and bale it, and we had a covering hay business. And what was that for? We would sell it to the um, different markets in the cities, and uh, we would take a bale of the covering hay, and they'd take that bale and break it up and put it in small paper bags, 
and then they would sell it to those people that had rose bushes so they could cover their rose bushes for the winter. Wow. It's called covering hay, or they use it to cover, say, some concrete that was poured. So very diversified, and they made sure that we were employed the whole year round. So a lot of things that could still apply to today's agriculture. So pretty massively uh, on the leading edge. Well, because the thing of it is, they, they, when they, because it was a big transition going from dairy to livestock to crops, you know, thinking, well, crops, you know, you're busy in the spring and you're busy in the fall. What so are we going to do the rest right, of the year? Right, right. And they figured out right away that they needed to do something, uh -huh. and then it worked, out, it worked out very well. But a lot of it, they looked at the opportunities in our location. And because of the opportunities we had for horse hay or covering hay or hauling this corn to northern Wisconsin, they took advantage of those things. Wow. So they had four other profit centers besides oh, yeah, just right. the crop operation, that and they way. were synergistic with right. the farm. And then in between times, my dad started selling seed. And, start, and that's how I got wound up with Pioneer Hybrid because my dad in 1959, since he knew all the farmers because he was out baling their hay, Hmm. Uh, he knew all the farmers in the area, plus we raised a lot of corn and they used a lot of pioneers, so they, he was hired as the pioneer sales rep for that area. So that was another sideline that they worked in, and that was kind of the January, February part of the year. So during the worst months in the winter, he was selling seed. Wow. A little different than today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a little. But that's pretty amazing, though, you know, when you think about today's operations, you know, so many of us, if we're purely just corn and soybean production in Iowa, or say corn, soybean, wheat in a, in a lot of the other states besides Iowa, the margins have been massively tight the last six years, you know, since since we went from about 2008 through 2012, you know, we had we had some rising commodity prices. Now we've seen these lowering commodity prices. and and. That's just um, great wisdom, great thinking to try to figure out how do we generate extra revenue in our farm operation, you know, because you can cut costs, but you can't save yourself to prosperity. You can't cut enough in a lot of situations to, um, to Well, that's to be one thing that I always appreciated working with you guys is every time that we saw a new opportunity that you could maybe get into, whether it was crop insurance or mm -hmm. into technologies or whatever, I always made sure that I went to farmers and offered them those kind of opportunities for additional income, plus the value of what you would learn from that particular aspect of the business. Yeah, because there's always synergy and additional profit centers. You got to be careful. You don't want to do a thousand different things, but you figure out what you're good at and then ask the question, is there synergy in this endeavor that, you know, might kind of tie in you know to what we're already doing and that's kind of what your family was doing with with the bailing and it got the relationships going right. it tied into this to seed sales it tied into you know the relationships with the horse people and all that kind of thing and and probably gave you some pretty good premiums on the hay you oh know, there's the no doubt people. about it they sought their market and those are the same kind of lessons that we could do today if you for example and i know you guys have taken advantage if you can raise high quality corn that maybe is a little heavier test weight than your neighbors, there's a market in Cedar Rapids for that, maybe a dime mm -hmm. a bushel, but mm -hmm. if you know that and they can depend on you to deliver, and that was the key, we did the delivery. Right. We delivered the product mm. to the feed mill. We delivered the hay to the horse farmer or to the garden center. Mm -hmm. We were able to take 
get the right product to the right place at the right time. Right. And that's pretty crucial to right. any business. Right. And you were you were basically farm to table before farm to table right. was even a Right. Topic. I mean, they were way ahead of their time, but a lot of it was because of where we were located. They took advantages of the population center and the situation they were in. Right. So those were some good lessons that I think we can still use today. For sure. So that's awesome. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, let's transition a little bit into, okay, that's your family business. How, how did you then um, start working towards Pioneer and becoming a, a lifetime employee and, and, and being an account manager throughout your entire career? Well, of course, my dad started selling Pioneer in 1959, and I was actually one of his helpers and did a lot of the paperwork because he wasn't too excited about doing paperwork <laughs> at that time. So I helped do the invoicing. Of course, everything was done by hand. So I got to learn the business pretty well. And uh, the manager that uh, worked with my dad, uh, he was a very good guy. And he got me interested in uh, possibly working for Pioneers. So when I went to college, I knew I was gonna go into agriculture. And I actually went <laughs> into agricultural education. And I student taught, but um, Pioneer gave me a call and asked me to interview. They had never hired somebody right out of college because you know the average age of the farmer was probably 55 to 60 and I was 22 and they really wondered whether a 22 year old could work with a 55, 60, 70 year old that was maybe pretty set in their ways. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I was, they offered me the job, and so I took the job. So I started uh, with Pioneer in 1975 and then had a 40-year career with them. And, and uh, so it was a good good career and very interesting and learned a lot along the way. Okay. So that's where we're going to go next. You learned a lot <laughs> along the way, right? And so what are some of the lessons along the way that you know farmers could learn from that you experienced in today's world, you know, so you started as a 22 year old. One of the things that sticks out to me right away is the generational dynamic difference. And so we see that a lot today where, you know, the, the old guards kind of stepped out in some of the instances, whether it's lending, whether it's crop protection, whether it's the seed industry, whether it's machinery and equipment to where you've got kind of a new fleet or a new set of of millennials entering into the workforce and the sales side of things and, and you've been there you you did that you know you came in as the young the young buck with some of the older um, people so what what are some of the lessons you learned along the way and some things that farmers you know both both the dads that are listening to this and the sons that are listening to this what are some well I think the first thing is that you've got to always be a lifelong learner and the thing that I would see is as I work with farmers you could see a big separation between the ones that started to really plan, and I call it strategic planning, where they looked at their operation and determined what their positives were and maybe their weaknesses, and then they worked towards putting together a plan. And in the seed business, we always encourage farmers to compare varieties and hybrids and got them to look at that to, to so we could measure you know, one variety against another, one hybrid against another, so that they could make a mathematical decision instead of saying, well, this is a pretty good corn crop. Because you know, in those days, uh, they were still picking on the ear. Some had picker shellers. Combines were just starting in the business. 
they really never really knew for sure how to compare products and how mm -hmm. to determine. So hopefully that taught them to look at a lot of things and to sit down with a pencil and paper and calculate, you know, what's making me the money mm -hmm. and which direction should I go? So, mm -hmm. and you could see a wide variation in farmers that were looking at that. Farmers have always been hard work workers and through the ages, you know, it, it was always, well, the harder you work, the better you're gonna get ahead. Well. It became it's not only hard work but smart work, and by that the planning, uh, sitting down and looking at your profit. I mean, I remember one of my good friends, a banker in Vinton, said, "You know, he said, if you know your cost of production, uh, and you know what you can sell your product for, as long as you're selling your product for a, a profit, you're never going to go broke." I mean, it's right. a pretty simple thing. Simple math. How long did it take farmers to really know what their cost of production is? And Chris, you know very well, that was one of the real things that you guys really started looking at, is all your costs and how you looked at individual decisions as to what you'd do. Right. And you know, uh, when we were in the seed business, obviously farmers would say, well, I remember uh, when, we, when I first started, we were selling seed for 15 to $20 a bag and farmers, you know, oh, that's outlandish, you know. Then I remember farmers telling me, Tom, if it ever gets above $50 a bag, I'm never gonna I'm never going to buy it again. <laughs> well, we had to prove to them that it had value. Right. And they learned how it had value. And, of course, that's what we were trying to train them is how to make those buying decisions. And, mm -hmm. you know, after a period of time, they have started to figure out once they were able to sit down and do the mathematics and the figuring that the best products made them the most money. And you know, that was a lifelong lesson. Right. So if they took that to all their other <clears throat> businesses, that was gonna help them. So you know, we, we hope that we got them to think more strategically on how to make decisions like mm -hmm. that. And that education isn't wasn't just about their seed purchasing right. decisions, but Any it's applicable on every business decision they make too. And then the other thing that we tried to do was to deliver information because obviously um, in the areas I covered, usually I had a thousand customers or more, and I'd I'd be out in a lot of farms. I spent most of my time, and the things that you would see one farmer do that another farmer wasn't doing, yeah. But it was a pretty good idea, and then you try to get get somebody to think about it. When we had our winter workshops, we always tried to talk about best practices. Mm -hmm. You know, and basically in our business, it was agronomic practices, planning rates, you know, what kind of equipment, what kind of herbicide programs. But we tried to take the best ideas that we saw out on the farm and share those with other farmers. Mm -hmm. And we had the practical knowledge, plus we were able to measure it with yield. Right. And profitability, because right. we would show them uh, profitability and yield. So those are lessons that are lifelong lessons. Right. One thing that, that Tom, that you taught me, uh, I bet it was in the 90s, probably early in the 90s, maybe late, late 80s, um, when we used to do plot tours and I actually helped sell seed for a number of years. And one of the things you taught me was the difference between features and benefits. Okay, and I've used that ever since in every aspect of what we do, and I don't know if you know that or not, so you've, you've had some <laughs> impacts on me over the years in a positive way. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a feature is something that is there, and so you brought up yield. 
you know, so yield is one component. That's that's kind of a feature, right? Mm-hmm. Or another feature is Stocks, you know roots and st- right, yeah, you know, ear height, whatever. Yeah, and so but the benefits are really what the farmer's looking for, right? And right. so you talked about how we make our decisions, we make value decisions, and that's one thing that we always try to get across to our clients is that when we're making these business decisions, we want them to be based on value, right. not cost, not what we write the checkout for, for seed or crop protection or machinery or whatever. It's, it's what is the rate of return on that in, as an investment that you've, that you've invested that dollar on. So if you invest a dollar and you get back a dollar and 10 cents, that's a 10% rate of return, right? And right. so so on the features and benefits, can you real quick just give me some examples of of some things there where you feel like the features and benefits are some things that, that farmers over the years have learned or some things that you think are something that we should be focused on in our operations? Well, and I think you gotta think about it in terms of benefits. Well, most farmers, I mean, the first benefit they're hoping for is income security, that they're able to continue to farm and have enough income to take care of their family needs or whatever. But there's other security type needs, you know, that I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, safety could be a mm-hmm. real uh, benefit. So there's right. a lot of those uh, things. And I think a lot of times, we tend to focus on features, but really, what do you want? And we always talked about the value equation and in sales, yeah, it's price, you know, price, service, and then value. So the price is part of it, the service, but what do you get in return that equals the value? And the value is what you need to make your decision on. Mm -hmm. So whether it's buying a new piece of equipment or changing how you, uh, your tillage practices, or your fertility practices, those things all have to be sit down and figure that out for your operation. And there is no one best answer for everybody. And that's by knowing exactly. your operation. I exactly. mean, your soil types, I mean, just working with you guys, you guys were in a situation where you had a lot more variable soil types versus I had farmers south of Vinton that have tame muscatine soils, some of the best soils in the world, well-drained, have a little slope, where up here, you go, you go from sand to muck to peat. Mm-hmm. And everybody so I, always, so I always said, you gotta be a better farmer up here than you have to be south of town because of the variability you guys had to deal with. Or more creative or something. Yeah, well, but I mean, your tillage was different and mm-hmm. you tended to raise more corn on corn because of your soil types and you're more concerned about erosion mm-hmm. and those kind of things. But it was tougher for you to make decisions than a lot of the guys farther south where everything area. was so uniform. Yeah, and that's interesting for people, I think, in other states to listen to. Um, too that would be listening to this podcast thinking well iowa's it's easy to grow corn in iowa it's not no, it's so not. easy is it in a lot of places and we are in, in one of those areas like you said where we've you know we'll go a mile across the field and we'll have eight or nine different soil types and one pass across the field so um so every area is a little different for sure um you know talk a little bit about you know some of the things that you've learned from farmers and observed in terms of how they handled challenges, you know. So one of the key things that we talk about in Dad's Wisdom with a lot of operations is, you know, faith and family and the business is, you know, how how did some of these farmers that you've worked with over the years 
been the most successful transitioning from one generation to the next? What are some things that, that you observed over the years that you could say, you know, this worked, but this not so much? Or, or, or are there any, any lessons there that you Well, communications, obviously, you know, because everybody has a little different perspective of things. But sitting down and communicating and really being able to, to make a what I call a strategic plan where you really set up what are your goals. Um, you know, maybe your goal is to grow, you know, to large, more acres, or maybe your goal is to stay with the same amount of acres, but produce a higher value crop or, or focus on livestock or whatever that may be generating your market. But to sit down, how many farmers could pull out their, their, um, sheet and say, you know, these are the six or seven goals that we have in our farming operation and you know, and have thought through them and, and get agreement amongst the people involved because mm -hmm. uh, everybody's thinking from a different perspective. If I'm 70 years old, I'm thinking about, well, as long as I got enough money to retire, that's all <laughs> I care about. But if I'm 40 years old and I got four kids that I'm thinking about sending to college, I'm thinking altogether maybe a little different. Or if you're 20 years old, you yeah. have a date next Friday yeah. night. Right, and you should, be, you should be combining corn or you should be planting corn. I mean, right. and then to prioritize those things and um, <clears throat> making big decisions like on equipment. I mean, equipment is a tremendous decision. Right. And as you well <clears throat> showed in a lot of your, your aides about how to make those decisions on equipment. I mean, I remember the days that you spent more time repairing your equipment than you did using your equipment. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can even remember on your farming operation with your dad. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, he kept he kept the combine kept for twenty longer. years. Right, twenty years, and in, in right. Rick and Rick would be there trying to fix it my, all the time. Right, my brother-in-law would be working on things. Yeah, that's and that and is that's a, a big transition because you know how much you you know what downtime costs you, especially mm -hmm. this fall with how critical it's gonna to be to get the crop out. Right. The crop doesn't do you any good until you get it in the bin. Right. And then and then you gotta take care of it in the bin. Right. Yeah, it's really changed and on the machinery side to your point, you know, used to be a lot of operations ran things for 15, 20 years anymore. If you run a combine, a lot of operations run a combine for two, three years that's a long time. Because they figured out what downtime costs them right. and repairs. Right, right. So is there anything anything else that, you know, um, over the years from a wisdom perspective that you can throw out? I see you brought a couple of sheets to kind of maybe talk through some of the trends that we've seen in ag and some things that, you know, that are applicable today. Um, well, I think, you know, being in the seed business, obviously we talk about yield, but you know, when I think about the 40 years that I served, it's really a tribute to the farmers. But in Iowa, in 1975, when I started, the average corn yield was 90 bushel an acre. And the last year that I was in the business, in 2015, the average yield was 192 bushel. Think about that. More than double the yield in 40 years. That's a two and a half bushel per acre increase. And of course, genetics and technologies were part of that, but the way farmers <clears throat> farm, the way they fertilized, the way they did their tillage, the way they changed their planting rates. I mean, there was a lot of things that they needed to adjust to take advantage of those things. And mm -hmm. if you're trying to do the same thing that you did 30 years ago, mm -hmm. that wasn't gonna work. In the same way with soybeans, we went from 34 bushel uh, average in 1975 to 56 in 2015, and that's about a half a bushel 
per acre year. And you know that is the average for the whole state where individual farmers can show probably Even a lot more. lot more more than that. Right. You know, but these are overall averages for the state, but it just shows that tremendous growth. But it was a combination of looking forward <clears throat> and taking a look at what what the future was and how that would make a return in their operation. Great. Any other um, things, or I guess I'll throw you another question here quick too, is, you know, we talked about features and benefits. And one thing that, that I, I struggle with a lot with seed companies, and you know, you, know, you being a, a seed company representative here, um, every year we have yield books, right? So they're showing us what the yields are. What would it take to get seed companies to show us income per acre books? I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I, I constantly am a little challenged with when I see these yield books and say, well, that's great, but what do we have to do to get this really high yield versus, you know, is it always about yield or is it more about margin? That's right. And so and there, were con there were different contests that different companies sponsored to do that, but it's always, Okay, what did you figure for land value? That was probably the biggest fudge factor. Right. Was it cash rent? Was it the value of the land, actual value of the land at six percent interest or whatever it was? So land value is always one of the biggest figures. Right. Fertilizer costs you pretty well could tell. Seed costs you could figure, but your drying costs, your tillage costs, and it's really difficult. And that's what we tried to focus in is on your you know, we focused on the yield and the price of corn, you know, what that amount to, but each farmer's cost, and unless, they, and again, it goes back to the point, if they don't know their own production costs, what it costs them per bushel to produce it, mm -hmm. and be realistic with that figure. Right. Yeah, and that's the, that's the biggest challenge we see as we work with new clients is, is the, even the inaccuracy of it, even with the technology we have today. In today's world, you know, we want to see cost of production numbers, you know, get as accurate as we can because if the margin is 10 or 15 or 20 cents a bushel, that's not much leeway to be off right. in terms of per bushel. And that's where we always try to take all these expenses and dial them back to a per bushel cost. So with seed even, for example, or crop protection, whatever it is, you know, it's back to the features and benefits. I don't care how much I write the check out for. I mean, it's when but it if, ends up at the yeah. end of the year. But if we ask a customer, or, you know, if you asked one of your customers, what did they write you a check for for seed? I bet they could tell you. Oh yeah, they? they know that. But then if you ask them, what you value know, did they get back? From right, that? or what what was the cost per bushel? Right. You know, relative, you know, to all of your other expenses. Well, I, I think the, and I think you've pointed this out many a times with your aids, machinery costs. How does a farmer develop what his real machinery costs are? Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's what most of them probably struggle, depending on the age of the equipment and how do you how do you put a figure on what that actual cost is. Right. Fertilizer, you know what you wrote, you know what you wrote for seed, you know, but your your equipment. Yeah, yeah. Is, and there's how do you calculate the and, cost? And, and of there's your equipment? some formulas, and and that's that's where we we come in and and try to help people, but. Um, back to the to the dad's wisdom thing, so we don't get too far off target. But I think all this is really good um, and ties directly in. Is there anything that I haven't brought up, or anything that you can think of that would just be good advice um, to the dads and the sons out there as they go into a challenging harvest season, and as as we you know continue to work through challenging market environment, you know on 
commodity prices that aren't super great here and uh, any any overall advice or well or emotions I mean emotions run high and especially when there's a lot of stress whether it may be uh, the the weather is stressful uh, the crop the crop may be damaged because of weather events um, you know there's breakdowns you know there's different things and that emotion when you start getting into a real emotional uh, you, two things happen you probably make bad decisions and then you also put yourself at risk for safety factors and I know that you guys really try to work through that but uh, emotions can really can really hurt you and it's you know the step back and it doesn't only hurt you it hurts your family mm -hmm. and your kids and your wife or your spouse so being able to take that deep breath and think about what's the most important thing in life you know you know, and it goes back to really what it, what are your values mm -hmm. and and uh, understanding that and as a group. But, you know, farming can be extremely emotional. And we know when it comes to selling the crop, <laughs> a lot of emotional decisions there. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, that that's tough to take the emotion out of. But again, you got to know your cost of production before you can, you know, make those. Right. You can make a better decision. May not always be a profitable yeah. decision. Right, right. But I, I think we take that really well and take that seriously and appreciate that because you know it's it's easy to um, be tired, uh, be frustrated, and we work together. And the majority of these operations are family or operations, and fathers and sons communication sometimes isn't directly professional. It might be emotional, mm -hmm. and you know um, hurt feelings and challenges and you know saying things you don't mean a lot of times can come out in mm -hmm. the midst of that emotion so that's really good advice to be to be thinking about that um i think it's been a great conversation is there anything else any final tidbits as we kind of wrap this up well i just think you know we're always going to continue to move on and we don't know what's going to happen 10 years from but i've always learned to watch those early adopters you know whatever it may be Maybe it's auto steer or whatever it may be down the road, but watch those early adopters and and see how they work. And 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 usually uh, usually they're on the right path, but sometimes you know sometimes that doesn't always work. But you know having a network of other farmers, and I know that's a tough thing maybe for farmers to do, especially with immediate neighbors, because and sometimes they see each other as competitors. Mm -hmm. But to develop a network, so if you're on the corn corn growers board or soybean growers board or something that where you get an opportunity to see a bigger picture to network. and network with other farmers yeah. and you'd be surprised a lot of you are facing the same challenges but just knowing somebody that you can talk to mm -hmm. helps reduce that emotion sometimes yeah. knowing that they're kind of going through the same thing you are and yet you know if you hold that inside it's going to affect your health. It's going to affect your family's health and anybody around you. But I, I really think it's important for people to get into other other things where they can expand their connections and their networks because there's great things. And, and farmers, uh, they'll tend to help each other, you know, especially mm -hmm. if there's a strong network there. So I, I think getting out and going to different conferences and stuff and meeting different people, that's how you get new ideas. Right, yeah, and, and one thing we're doing to throw a plug out there is we've got several peer groups going, and, and those peer groups are 
farmers from various states and they don't feel like they're in competition right. because they're from another state right. or they're on the other side of the state, but they have similar challenges, mm -hmm. similar issues, and then they can they can sit down and talk through those issues and we help them build those relationships and they become long long life friends and, and It'll help you make better decisions. You know, you're looking at a new piece of equipment that's new on the market. This guy's got one. Well, how did it work? Well, he's probably going to tell you the pros and cons, and, you know, then you're going to be able to make a better decision. So that right. network, I think, especially in today's agriculture, and, you know, that face-to-face, -face, you know, the, the media is okay, but having that first face-to-face yeah. -face connection. Right. Yeah, that's really key. So, well, I appreciate that, Tom. Um, it's been a great conversation, and um, you know, when I first got a hold of you, you're like, I, I don't know what I'm going to say or what I'm going to talk about, but you know, it, well, <laughs> you know, you, you you did a great job of you know bringing 40 years of experience in agriculture to the forefront, and I think it'll be very helpful to a lot of our clients and a lot of the listeners that listen to this podcast um, to to get some of the wisdom that you've you've acquired over the years from both yourself and from having the opportunity to work with hundreds of farm operations, you know, I, I think that's really cool. Well, we so. have the same goal. We want our customers and our farmers to be successful. And so that's the, always the approach I took. We want you to be successful. Right. <laughs> if you're going to continue to be a customer with us, we it's in our best interest right. that you're successful. Right. And I think when you when you have the same goals, it's a lot easier yeah. to work. A, com a common vision takes everybody to the same place. <laughs> right. right, and that's yeah. that's important to have that common vision that's thought out that yeah. people agree on, and that so, moves you along. Right. So, so one other thing, Tom, I want to make sure that we ask you about is is your family. So tell us a little bit about about your family. Well, I married my high school sweetheart, and we've been married for forty four years, and we've been blessed with three children, two girls, and a boy, and they're all been blessed with great spouses and we now have uh, seven grandkids that keep us very very busy well that's pretty awesome then <laughs> so your your high school sweetheart huh yep yep so did you guys go to college together or? uh she went a couple years to the same college but um we met um when i was in high school was the first time they had earth day so i was part of the ffa organization i was a president of it and so we decided we needed to do something in honor of the environment. So we started an organization that was called Forest Lake Improvement. And, you know, we were trying to do projects to help the environment. And so the first thing we thought of was super garbage, you know, garbage that people were throwing out, uh, plastics and things that, you know, that were littering, and that was the first one. And then the next one that we worked on was uh, pollution and of course where we live there was a lot of lakes and we were concerned about pollution there was sewer systems running into the lakes and everything else so I would go around to the schools elementary schools and show different chemicals I <laughs> I got the name fish killer because I'd have these minnows in a little uh, bucket in, a, in, a, in an aquarium and then I'd throw in a little soap detergent and a little of this and little things that were household items you know, like they were going right into the water supply out into the lake. And before it was done, those old fish were. So that's something you and your, your high school sweetheart were doing together. We did together, yeah. Educating younger kids that what they mixed in the water could ultimately affect things. And in this case, it was we were showing little minnows and stuff, but trying to get them to think about the environment and 
you know, dealing in agriculture, we're always thinking about the environment where some of the best conservation oriented people in the world probably don't get the credit that we should, but farmers know that they can't destroy the thing that gives them the livelihood and that's their soil and their surroundings. Exactly, exactly. And on the family side, where are your kids all at today? Uh, we have um, my oldest daughter and her husband live in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Uh, my middle daughter uh, married a farmer and lives just south of our hometown at Shellsburg, and he has a cow-calf herd and sheep. And then my youngest nice. son lives in Iowa City. Okay, and then the grandkids, they can come over, but they get they got to go back home again, right? Yeah, they were a bunch of them over last night, in fact, so I'm running around with a two-year-old. Yeah, well, that keeps you young, right? Yeah, that's right. You bet. That that's keeps why you, young. you look younger now than you yeah, did the last right. time I saw you. Right, right. That's right. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Yep. Appreciate You're that. welcome. All right. Well, Minnesota farm boy, uh, pioneer account manager, and uh, longtime uh, consultant to farmers every single year through the good, the bad, and the ugly, yeah. right? Yep. So. Tom Husnick and, and uh, Chris Barron here. Thanks a lot, Tom, for being You're with welcome. us. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the AgView Pitch, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Dad's Wisdom. Please make sure to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, and for any questions or ideas that you would like discussed, please email us at cbarron at agviewsolutions.com. Have a great day. Thank you.